mention everybody. Um, we, the boys are staying here. Oh, the boys are going. Okay. So the boys' class and the junior church classes, you guys can be dismissed. You guys can make your way um, out there if that's where you're going. I want to thank everyone being here. The snow has hindered probably some, and yet there's a big crowd, and um, I think the mask mandate, I think, in the state is, is uplifted and, and, or lifted off. Yes, that's it. Lifted up, lifted off, and um, so that's, uh, I guess, encouraging news for some. Maybe it's discouraging for others, but I'm thankful that you're here. Um, continue to pray as God works, Satan works, and, and I'm just glad you're here. I'm glad to be here, and uh, glad to have Josh back. Josh is back from missions, uh, I, I don't even want to call it a missions trip, it's kind of like a mission service, and I'm sure he'll have lots of testimony to tell as he was serving um, in the mid part of our country and then down in Brazil for the last couple months. I um, want to remind you, we do have service tonight, we'll be back in the book of Ezra, I want to encourage you to come out for that as well, I know it's Super Bowl Sunday, uh, but we'll still have service, it starts at 6, Super Bowl starts at 6.30, and uh, you can uh, plan however you want for that, but uh, you, you'll, you'll still make the uh, major part of the game, I promise that. Um, but nevertheless, uh, we'll have service tonight as well. Thank you for everyone that's been praying for us and just continue to pray uh, for all things that are uh, God's will. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open up to John chapter 11. John 11 in the um, New Testament. John chapter 11. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for being a God of mercy, Lord, and using us despite our sinfulness, despite the many times we've proven ourselves to be unworthy, despite the many times, Father, that we have shown ourselves unfaithful to you, Lord, and so thankful, Lord, that you you are the God of, of using people, of broken things, and Father, that I pray let you would just be with everybody here who has a burden, and be with everybody here who's got an unspoken prayer request, be with everyone here, Lord, who is seeking after you. Lord, we also pray for those that need to be saved. I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. We pray for your presence to be readily known. We pray for the Holy Spirit to be here. Despite our failures, despite our struggles, despite our heartaches, Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified in our midst. Thank you so, so much, Father, for the journey you allow us to walk on. And we just pray now that you would continue to protect us, to guide us, to show us. We ask for your power now to be present. We ask for your guidance to be here. And Lord, we ask for um, your, your presence to be readily known in our midst. And we pray all of this in the name that's above every name, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 13, verse 2, and it's not, it's not a good verse. Uh, I'll say that. I mean, every verse is a good verse. But it's not an encouraging verse necessarily. But the Bible says, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. The first part of that verse, hope deferred maketh the heart sick, what it says there is that when we have an expectation of something, when we have a heart that something will happen, something that we're desiring to come, and it doesn't come to pass, it's a heartache. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. Every disappointment in our life just about has added up to or can be boiled down to expectations not being met. We have an expectation of something, we have a thought that something's going to be what it is, and it isn't. And that often brings disappointment, but not just disappointment. Sometimes along the line when we have a great expectation and we have a great trust and we have a great hope in something and it doesn't come to pass as we thought it would, as we mapped it out, it can be very, very heartbreaking, literally making the heart sick. The Bible says, hope deferred, make it the heart sick. And has anyone here ever have, having, having something going on that hasn't worked out the way you wanted it, the way you quote-unquote needed it to? Is anyone here having something happen that just crushed their world? You may even be kind of questioning God on it. Maybe you're angry about it to God about it. Maybe you're angry at God concerning it. And you've allowed this questioning, this anger with God to turn into a resentment or even an, in, an internal bitterness for God. Where at the very least, turns your heart away from God. And I get that. I understand that. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Now especially when it comes to the area of God, when we're trusting Him 
we're looking to him, we're hoping in him, and then it doesn't come out the way it seems, it doesn't come out the way we hope it to, it literally can crush our world even more. Because we had an expectation that God was going to do something, and it didn't translate. Matter of fact, on Sunday night, uh, I've had to revisit this passage multiple times this week in my own life and talking to different people. On Sunday night, we're in the book of Ezra, and in the book of Ezra, we're at a place where um, the king of Persia has allowed the release of the, the people in captivity and allowed them to go rebuild the temple, rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And, and they get back there and, and they begin to work on the foundation. And when the foundation of the temple is built, the older ones start lamenting, start crying because they remember the old temple. And the young people start rejoicing that God's work is doing and, and there was excitement in that. And then not long after, some people from Samaria up to the north who were the enemies of God's people came down and said, we'll help you build it. We want to be a part of this. And Zerubbabel the priest said, no, 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 you have no part in us building this temple. This is our work. Well, because they were not really there to help, they went out and wrote letters to the king. They lied. They, they fabricated and said the Jews are bad people. They're They're going to destroy the work. They're going to do all these different things. And so Cyrus stopped the working of the temple. Now up until that point, the Jews were excited that the temple was going to be rebuilt. They were commissioned. It was paid for. The lumber was coming in. Everything looked like it was going to happen. And then the enemy attacked and the work stopped. And for 16 years, it's going to take 16 years for it to be built. But in those 16 years, if you put yourself in that place, they expected God was doing this work. They felt on top of the world. They felt like, man, everything was going God's way. And then Satan stepped in, and God allowed it, and Satan stepped in and allowed the work to stop. And regardless of the whys behind it, we do have this. They had an expectation, and it didn't come out to be, and everything was turned upside down, and I'm sure it brought heartache for those people. Those people who left the captivity, they were most of them were born there. They were in captivity for seven years. They would have got back to that place and then started building and then said, now what? Now what do we do? Did we mess up? Were we not in God's will? Were we off? And the answer was, no, they were in God's will. It's just that it didn't go the way they expected it to. And so in your life, as you expect this God in heaven, God in heaven is a great God, and he is. No matter what happens in our life, He is praiseworthy. He is a great God. But there can be situations in our lives that don't go the way we want them to, we thought they were going to go, and it brings great heartache. And I want to plead with you and myself this morning to consider some truths concerning this. And I want to preach this title this morning, When Jesus Doesn't Answer. When Jesus doesn't answer. Look at with me John 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with an ointment and wiped his feet with their hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Come down to verse number 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Here we have a sick man, his name is Lazarus. And I know a lot of you know the story, but stay with me in the exact chronological order that I want you to see it in tonight. We have a sick man named Lazarus, and Lazarus has two sisters, Mary and Martha. And just in case you didn't get the hint, Jesus knew this family very well, and it's emphasized this is the Mary who anointed Jesus with her hair. And Jesus was very close to this family. He knew them, and they knew him. And they all loved each other and were specifically told, were specifically told, and Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. There's no question that these are not, these not, there's no question whether these are strangers. This is no question of whether or not God loves them, whether or not they're bad people, whether or not they're good people. We know there's a good relationship here. We know God is all-powerful. We know Jesus can do anything, and we know Jesus loves this family. In order for you to understand what we're giving you today, you have to understand those things. Jesus is all-powerful. He loves these people. And Lazarus is sick. Look at verse 3. 
So in verse 2, it says they were sick, and Lazarus was sick. In verse 3, therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. What else is there to do in a situation but besides call on Jesus? So let's put ourselves in Mary and Martha's shoes for just a second. They have a problem, and they have a God who can solve it, and they call on God to solve it. Literally, they said, man, there's nothing else to do. And they, they even use terms of endearment. God, the one you love is sick. And in their mind, they're thinking, we've seen him heal so many people before. We've seen him do many wonderful things. We've seen him, him just speak the word and it happened. And they call on Jesus, and we know Jesus loves Lazarus. I mean, in, in particular, You've always said how much you love Lazarus. You, the one you love. You know, la- the one you love. And obviously he's going to come and he's going to fix this situation. He's going to come and he's going to solve this situation. He's going to step right in and fix it all. And so they sent him for him. Somebody go tell Jesus that the one he loves is sick. And I mean, there's no doubt that the two sisters called on Jesus in faith. So if there's ever a wonder, are they calling on in faith? Yes, yeah, sure they are. They're calling on Jesus. They say, we know he can fix it. Go find him. We have a problem we can't solve. Neither do we even try to solve it ourselves. But we know who can. And understand this. They're fully, fully, fully expecting that this is going to be done. Jesus is going to come in, swoop in, save the day. Everything's going to be fine. So there they are waiting. And they're not waiting in doubt. It doesn't say anything about doubt. They're just waiting. He's going to come. It's going to work out. He's going to come. It's going to be fine. It's the Lord. He knows. He hears our burdens. He knows our cares. It's going to be fine going to be fine. Verse 6. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Otherwise known as he didn't come. We say, wait, what? Say that again. He didn't come. No, he knew about it. Matter of fact, we know he knew about it before they even sent messengers to get him. Matter of fact, we know he knew about it before it even happened. But now he's told about it. And he didn't come. Now, many of you know the story, but again, put yourself in Mary and Martha's shoes. On that very day, they don't know the story. They don't know what's going to happen at the end. They don't know uh, the timeline. They don't know what's all going to happen. All they know is they sent for Jesus, and Jesus loves their brother, and Jesus can do anything, and he loves us. So he'll come. But then he didn't come. Now what? Now what? show up. Verse 11. These things said he, and after he saith unto them, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go, that I may awake him out of his sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Again, you, you and I know the story in hindsight. But Mary and Martha do not. He even tells the disciples he's dead, right? They, he uses a euphemism. He says he sleeps. And the disciples are like, well, if he's sleeping, he's fine. Just rest him. Well, you guys aren't getting it. He died. But I'm going to go wake him up out of, his de- out of his sleep. Mary and Martha don't know that. The disciples don't quite get it either. Mary and Martha don't understand. All they know is that Lazarus is getting sick. We sent for the Savior. We sent in faith. We we were counting on him. And yet he doesn't come. Nothing. And and, and that's why you've got to be careful 
of all the preaching and teaching that makes God our genie, that makes God work for us, that makes God do what we tell him to do. And if you have enough faith, you'll do this. And if you don't have enough faith, he won't. That's not always the case. Now, no doubt, faith, the lack of faith hinders things. And sometimes, and the Bible does say faith does move mountains. I understand all that. But in, understand, in the snapshot we're taking, Jesus is not showing up. And Mary and Martha cry out for help. Nothing happens. Matter of fact, Jesus does not even start walking back until he knows for sure Lazarus has died. And all the while, back to Mary Martha, he'll come. Surely he's going to come. Don't worry, he'll come at the 11th hour. Okay, he's going to come now. Lazarus is getting sicker. Surely he's going to come. He's going to swoop in and save the day. comes out, his heart stops. He stopped breathing. No, no, check again, that's not possible. No, he stopped. I'll tell you, in my mind, if they just watched the natural occurrence of death happened, it'd be heartbreaking. But the magnification of pain is here, I believe, because they really, really were trusting that God would swoop in. But he doesn't. They were waiting, right? He's right before he dies. Maybe even a few seconds after he dies, he's going to come and God's going to come in and do it. Can this be? We called on something. We called on to do something, but he did nothing. Why did Jesus take so long? Why did he wait? Why did he come immediately? How selfish? How wrong? How could he abandon us like this? They might have thought these things. How come he didn't come? Can I say that Jesus didn't even have to come to heal Lazarus? I want to read you a passage from Matthew chapter 8. You, you don't have to turn there. You can if you want, but you can just listen. Matthew chapter 8, verse number 5, the Bible says, And when Jesus entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will, heal, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come unto my feet. But speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I'm a man under authority, having soldiers unto me, and I say unto this man, Go, and he goeth, and he, to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, and said unto them, That followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found such great faith, no, not in Israel. Verse number 13, And Jesus saith unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the same hour. In that particular case, Jesus didn't even go to where the person was sick. He just spoke the word and it happened. And that centurion said, I understand you have authority over sickness and death, just like I have authority over these soldiers. When I tell a soldier to go, he goes. When I tell a soldier to come, he comes. When I tell a soldier to do this, he does it. You can say the same thing to sickness and disease to stop it, to be removed. And you don't even have to be in the presence. That's how authoritative you are. And when Jesus heard that, he marveled at it. And here's Mary and Martha, people he loved. Jesus didn't even need to come. He could have just gotten word, called out to God in heaven to heal that person, to heal Lazarus. But it did not happen. From the perspective of Mary and Martha, now understand this. We know the end of the story, so you've got to hang on. But from the perspective of Mary and Martha, he literally did nothing. So let me ask you this. What happens when Jesus doesn't answer? What happens when you don't have the end? You don't have the end of the story. You just have now. 
you have no promise of what the next day is going to be like or next week's going to be like. You just have the heartbreak of now, and you've called on God, and you've asked him to step in, and you've asked him to, res- to rescue the day, and you've trusted, and you've had faith, and you were waiting on it, and it didn't happen. Now what? Now what? And we're taught this, and it's not, it's not untrue. It's true. What I'm about to say is true, but understand this. We've been taught that God is a prayer answering God. We're taught that ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you, right? And those are Bible verses. It's not wrong. But what happens when Jesus says no? And we're like, now you're going to answer, right? Because I've knocked enough. I don't know if he's going to answer or not. I'm not God. And understand when I'm saying, I don't know if he's not going to answer. Obviously, a non-answer is a no. It's not, or it's a wait. It's not, uh, it's not a non-answer. Now, what happens when Jesus doesn't answer? Because what happens in the following moments and days when you call on Christ in distress, and it seems that he doesn't answer, listen to this, may make all the difference in the world of whether you will still be walking with him. Let me say that again. What you do in the moments, in the days after you call on God and he doesn't answer, may very well make all the difference of whether you continually walk with God or don't. Because it is one of the most tempting things in the world to trust God, to wait on God, to wait expectingly for something that you're praying for and it doesn't come out the way you expected it to and you're left with heartbreak and it's easy to be tempted to say, I'm done with this. I am done with God. And obviously, that is not where you want to be. But it is a natural feeling in the flesh. So I'm telling you what happens right after is very important. So what do you do? when it seems like Jesus didn't answer. Years ago when I was a kid and I was probably 10 years old, we were in Brooklyn visiting my mom's family. My mom's sister was much older than her and my mom's niece and my mom's niece's son were all there. And so my mom's niece was about the same age as my mother and her son was two years old. We were in the backyard, I was 10, my sister was probably 5, and he was 2, and, and, he, and he called for his mom, by her first name, by the way. He said, Susan, called for her to come. And uh, he's 2. And she didn't come. And I'm not kidding, I'm not trying to be crass. But he began to use profanity about his mom because she didn't come. He was 2 years old and we look at that and we say that's shocking a two-year-old would but my point is he called expecting his mom to come and she didn't come and his reaction was raw in the flesh of a two-year-old and i'm not saying you would do as blatant of a thing as that but you might feel similar when you call on god in pain and distress doesn't answer the way you expected him to, how you respond may very well make all the difference in the world. Look at verse 17 now. We're back in John 11. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had been laying in the grave four days already. Four days already. When Jesus finally does arrive, it's four days after Lazarus has died. And we could even question, why even go at all? Why even go at all? And the disciple Thomas, the one that would be labeled Doubting Thomas, had his reasons for going back. Look at verse 16. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto the fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Thomas, when he finds out he's dead, says, well, that's, that's why I'm going back. And so again, there's Mary and Martha. They called on Jesus. Jesus gets word. He waits two more days. Lazarus dies. And he heads there and gets there four days later. It's at least six days, maybe as late as ten days 
since the sisters called on Jesus? How do I have ten days? Well, when Jesus left, and by the time he got there, it's he, Jesus waited after he heard Lazarus died, he waited two days. Then he journeyed, and it was two more days. That's four days. We don't know how fast the journey was when the sisters originally called, but we say it's at least two days. So at the very least, we have at least six days, maybe ten, of the time they called on Jesus to the time they got there. Our brother's sick, let's call on Jesus. Day one, day two, day three, day four. Let's just call it there. Brother died. Day five. Day six, day seven, day eight. It's already long past anything that could be done. How would they have felt in those days? There was a deadline, and God didn't meet the deadline. He died. In that snapshot of that window of that time, you have to imagine that they were devastated, upset, questioning, hurt, mad, frustrated, wondering what could they have done differently? What did we do wrong? Does God really love us? Why did he abandon us? How come he didn't just do this? Obviously he loves Lazarus and and he's a good God and he's healed so many other people. Why didn't he just heal us? All of those things. All of those things and more. Day one, day two, day three, day four. You see, the first couple days, hope was building. God's going to come through. 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 Once they die, and maybe you've never been in a place that's that's what life's given you. And if you haven't, Praise the Lord. It may still come. And if you have, you know. And it may still come again. Life's a funny thing. That's why I love that old song. Heaven's sounding sweeter all the time. For all the pain shall be wiped away. All the tears shall be wiped away. And there'll be no more crying. No more death. For the former things have passed away could have spoken it and it would have been done but he didn't verse 19 many of the jews came to mary and martha and mary to comfort them concerning their brother then martha as soon as she heard that jesus was coming went and met him but mary sat still in the house then said martha unto jesus lord if thou hadst been here my brother had not died Now, maybe you read it softer than that, and that's okay. You don't have to take my emphasis for a minute. But people are coming all over to comfort Mary and Martha concerning their brother, but still know Jesus. Finally, Martha gets word, Jesus is coming, and she runs and meets him, and she doesn't say, Lord, you know, she doesn't break down and cry seemingly. She doesn't uh, fall on him. She doesn't, she just goes there, and if you can understand the rawness of her emotions, seems to just accuse him. You would have been here. This wouldn't have happened. Now, I don't necessarily think it was in disdain or disrespect. Could have just been a natural thought. But at the very least, she says, this could have been avoided, but you didn't. One of our natural tendencies in life, when things don't go the way we want them to go, is to have to lay blame somewhere. Sometimes it's on us. Sometimes we want to blame other people. But if you're a Christian, listen, listen, please. For Christians, it's even easier to blame those people and God. Why? Because God can do anything. It's easy to say, we've been praising your name. We've been there in worship. We've been there service. We've been there doing everything for you. We've basically sacrificed our whole life to worship you, Lord. And then this. And then this. 
forgiven. Show up. And I don't know why. Verse 28. And when she had said so, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Mary met, Martha met him. Then, G, the, then the Jews, then which were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Mary gets word that Jesus is calling for her. She gets up and runs to meet him. And he's at the very place that Martha met him. And she falls down at his, her, at his feet. Now we know, a couple weeks ago, we preached from the other passage of Mary and Martha, that when Jesus comes into the town, Martha's going crazy, trying to serve and trying to get everything organized and trying to get everybody uh, situated in hospitality and, and doing all that. And Mary's just sitting there at his feet. And Jesus said Mary had chosen the better thing at that time. So maybe you were thinking, when Mary, Mary's so much better than Martha. Martha's neurotic, she's nutty, and she gets all kinds of bent out of shape. And maybe Mar Mary's the sensible one. She'll come and she'll just rash. She'll just make sense of it. When Mary shows up, what does she do? The exact same thing. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. She might think in her mind, I literally washed your feet with my hair. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And again, they can't help to feel this way seemingly. And again, though it was maybe no of disrespect or of reverence to Christ, they couldn't help but to feel let down by him. Don't hear me project disrespect on them. I'm just saying they couldn't avoid feeling let down by the one they desire to love the most. The one they know loves them the most. And again, it's really hard to not question God's love. Especially when we start to rationalize our love. I love my kids. You better believe if any of my kids came to me and said, Dad, help me with this. It's a life or death situation. I would die before I didn't help them. I would do anything. And God's love is supposed to be better than ours. And how do you even conceive such? hard to have those it's it's easy to have those thoughts it's hard not to have those thoughts you can understand why they felt this way now the truth be told there's a great difference between us feeling let down and god actually letting us down you understand that there's a huge difference between feeling let down and god letting us down but often we go by feeling and from their perspective, it very much seems that way. And at this point in time, it's been about a week or more since they called on Jesus. And he did not show no word from him up until this point. And from their perspective, they've been let down in one of the greatest times of their need. And in reality, there may not have been a time where they needed Christ more physically speaking than right there. I understand spiritually and salvation. But on earth, I did not need him more than I need him right now. You may have even said it this way, right? We see this in TV shows with kids and their parents. Dad, if you give me this, I'll never ask for another thing again. You may have even asked God this. God, if you answer this prayer request, I'll never even have, I'll use all my future prayer requests for this. We know that God doesn't work that way, but I'm saying the intensity of how we sometimes feel in our pain, in our letdown, in our destruction, in our feeling of abandonment, we sometimes might even feel like that. God, if, if I'll never ask for you another again, thing again. Just please do this. I don't know if Mary and Martha did it or not, but we do know he did not show up, and they're feeling that way. So then again, I want to remind you, when they called on him, they genuinely thought he would do something. They had faith. They had hope. But hope deferred maketh the heart sick. And right now, their heart was multi-fold 
remember, we have exposed the perspective of the people and the perspective of Mary and Martha. But I want to pose this question. What's really going on? And might I say that God is very gracious to give us the story that we might see what's really going on. Because there are a lot of stories like this throughout history where God is called on and seemingly doesn't answer. And we get no word as to why and how come, what was going on or anything like. Sometimes we look back in history or even in our own lives and we don't know why. Why did it happen? We don't know why. But in this story we get a little glimpse. So let me ask you the question again. What do you do when Jesus doesn't answer? I want to draw out some principles today that they might speak truth to our finite, hope-deferred hearts. Let me pause and say I understand that some of you may be in a heart-sick situation. Sometimes the pain we go through, no one knows about. The heartache, the feeling of letdown feeling of despair, questioning. We literally crawled our way into church today, having no strength of our own. And we're saying, where's God? Some of you may come to church and say, I'm just trying to find God today and I hope he's here. Because of whatever you're going through, or whatever you've been going through. But I want to draw out some principles that we can find here you know, Mary and Martha are deferred sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. They're, they had expectations, and it didn't come to fruition. So I want to draw out some principles. Number one, his purpose and plan is far beyond you. His purpose and plan is far beyond you. Yes, it is your situation. And yes, it is my situation. And yes, it is our heart that may be sick. And yes, it is a difficult situation, but we need to understand that his purpose and his plan are far beyond my situation and your situation. Now, I'm not going to tell you any of these pills are going to be easy to swallow, friends. But I'm going to give you the proper biblical perspective that hopefully will give you the right medicine when your heart goes deferred or your hope goes deferred and your heart gets sick. His purpose and plan is far beyond you. Look at verse 14. The Bible says, Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Wait, what? I was glad I was not there? That's what Jesus said. I was glad I was not there. Well, thanks a lot, Jesus. But Mary and Martha needed him desperately. His beloved Lazarus needed him desperately. And he is glad that he's not there? You know, sometimes we only hear what we want to hear from God. And we get all upset and bent out of shape. But rather, we must listen to all that God is saying. He did say, I'm glad I'm not there. But why? Why did he say, I'm glad I'm not, not there? Well, look at it again, verse 15. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent... Ye may believe. Nevertheless, let's go unto him. He says, I'm glad I wasn't there because I want you to believe. Part of the plan of God is to increase us, to sanctify us, that we might have a stronger relationship with him. And like I said in other times, without valleys, mountains wouldn't be so high. And a lot of times God lets us go through the valley of the shadow of death. And we're thinking, where are you in all this? He allows us to be thrown into the fire. And we say, where are you in all this? His plans are so far greater than ours. He literally just said, I'm glad that he died. And I know Mary and Martha are a wreck right now. And I know everybody there is a wreck right now. But I want you to see what power I have after. But for you to see the power I have after, you have to wait and suffer for a little while. Look at verse 4. When Jesus heard that, that he was sick, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Jesus knew what he was going to do. And he said, I'm going to purposely wait extra days. I am purposely waiting until long after Lazarus dies, because in that I will be most glorified. We often think that the purpose of God is to serve us, to answer us, and that's not even close to being true. 
It is that he might be glorified. And that's not easy, my friends. Because it's hard for us to rationalize, why might he be glorified in my hurt? Why might he be glorified in my despair? Why might he be glorified in my destruction? Why does that bring him most glory? And I don't always know the answer to that, because I'm not God. I'm a sinful, fallen creature. Who knows that I could never be God, and I'm glad I'm not God. And sometimes God allows the valleys because, simply put, in that he's most glorified. And Jesus says his way will always bring him the most glory. But as people whose heart is sick and grief, as we call out to God, we do concern ourselves uh, you know, with what brings him the most glory. That, that, that doesn't matter to us. I, I don't, don't hear me wrong. Even though I might be like, I, I really don't care what brings you most glory. I, I, I don't care about my situation and my pains and my hurts and my shame and my embarrassment and my family's this and my family's that and my church is this and my church is that. I don't care what brings you the most glory. I'm hurting. I might feel like that. And we cry out to God, and, or at the very least, we internalize this thought, why are you doing this? I thought you loved me. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. You might say this, if you really loved me, this wouldn't have happened. not encouraging. I know this is not like wonderful like, thank you, I felt so... No, but it's true. And it's going to strengthen you in the times of despair. In the times when our heart is sick. Why didn't you? Why didn't God do what I wanted Him to do? Let's ask ourselves this question. Do we really want God to do exactly what we would have done? If God did exactly what we would want every time, he wouldn't be God, we would. And he would be man. Would you really want that? And if God did exactly as we asked every time, he would be that genie we talked about earlier. So want to know why God didn't show up? Let me give you two reasons we can identify here. Number one, to bring us closer to him. And number two, that he would be glorified further. You want to know why the valleys in your life? To bring you closer to him. And because in that, that will bring him more glory. Can, can, I, can I circumvent that? Can I, just, can I bring him more glory now and we can avoid that? Maybe sometimes. Friends, we're not in church because God serves us, because life always goes the way we want it to go. We're here because he's true. And he loves us and died for us, died for us. And in him we have the hope of eternal life. But man, life is terrible sometimes. And I hope you remember to love each other, love God no matter what happens. I really hope you do. But his plan is far beyond us. And you know what? If God knows that not answering your prayer is best and will bring him most glory, then that's what he'll do and that's what we ought to be thankful for. I know it hurts, my friends. I know it does. Whether or not this is what you would have done or whether or not it's what I would have done. If it brings him glory, then it's worth it. Let me give you the second principle. I know you know this one. It's his time, not our time. His time. Mary and Martha's timing was immediately, right? Jesus' timing was not. They felt let down. But Christ never let them down. 
It was only that his timing was not their timing. He came a whole lot later than they wanted him to. But understand this, he was never unaware of the situation, and he was never uncaring of the situation. He was never unaware, and he was never uncaring. In your heartache, you were never alone. You were never alone. It was just that God had a different plan, a different timing to the situation. And so since the plan of God is different than our plan, and because his purpose is beyond us, and because his timing is his alone, it can often look and feel like we're let down by God. And when we look at it through our perspective, that in no way has he forgotten us or neglected us. It's simply that he is doing something that we're not seeing or not understanding or may not be able to see or may never be able to understand. That's his prerogative. Why? Because he's God. Because he's God. Let me give you number three. And this one stings sometimes. Because sometimes the plan of God hurts very much. Sometimes the plan of God hurts very much. Look at verse 28. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master has cometh and called for thee. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus, when it was not yet come into town, but was in the same place that where Mary and Martha had met him, the Jews when then which were with him in her house and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out and followed her, saying, She goes unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou would have been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. He was groaned in the spirit and troubled. When Jesus saw what? No. Is this when Jesus found out Lazarus died? troubled him? What brought him a, a groaning in himself? When he saw Mary crying and when he saw the other Jews there crying. He was troubled. Now keep in mind, he knew exactly what he was going to do. He already said it. He didn't decide at this point, I'm, this is what I'm going to do. He already said it. He said, I, I'm letting him die because I want to do this. Groaned in his spirit. He's troubled in himself. Why? Because he saw that his plan failed. Look at verse 34. Jesus said, and he said, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. at that moment, we have the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Now, let me rationalize with you, and you can take a different understanding of this verse if you want, but let me give you why I, I believe it the way it is. I don't see any way that Jesus is crying because Lazarus has died. Why? Because Lazarus has already been dead, and Jesus already knew this. Laz Jesus allowed Lazarus to die. That was part of his plan. This was sudden or unexpected. It was planned. It was calculated. And he had been dead for quite a few days, and if you want to be upfront understanding, he knew about this since before eternity. But he began to be troubled and groaning in his spirit when he saw those he loved in pain caused by his plan. Because whose plan was it to allow Lazarus to die? Now in his earthly body, his humanity, he sees them crying, and it groans him in his spirit, and he's troubled in himself, and he says, where is he laid? And then it says, Jesus wept. You want to know why I think Jesus was weeping? 
Now, there are probably a couple reasons here. I'm not saying mine is the only exclusive one. But what I can muster up and gather here is that he is crying because he knows that sometimes the plan of God hurts. And he was crying with them. He knows sometimes his plan is to walk us through the valley of the shadow of death. And the Bible says that as a, um, even in the local church, we weep with those that weep. We rejoice with those that rejoice. And Jesus knows that sometimes we'll be crying. And I do believe that he's crying with us in that regard, even if he's allowed to. Even if he doesn't swoop in and save the day, he allows it. And he's crying with them. Verse 36, then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused even the man, this man should not have died? Jesus therefore again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Others in their pain began to question, why didn't Jesus do something? He, he did other things like this. Other people start saying, now this is not Mary and Martha. Jesus is crying, and, and they're crying. Everyone's a mess. Everyone's a mess. And we find that Jesus is groaning inside of himself again. Because the plan of God sometimes hurts very much. And so we think in our own life, and and, and our own life yet to be lived. Knowing that the purpose of God is different than our purpose. And his plan is different than what we would do. And his timing is different than our timing. And his plan sometimes hurts very much. We know that this all can be a great source of fleshly discouragement. And disappointment. And it would be very natural in our flesh to feel let down. To feel forgotten. To feel all alone to wonder if it's all even real or not. Right? All of that. All of that could be felt in the days and times when we think Jesus is going to show up, but he doesn't. Sometimes the plan of God hurts. And some, some of you I know have, are in or have been in, in situations where you really do want God. But what's going on is tearing you apart wondering why. You're trying to do everything you can to hang on in the pain. You're trying to do everything you can to hang out in the pain. And you don't know if you're going to make it. It's very natural to feel that way, but I want to tell you something. It's at that moment that you're at a crossroads. And there are only two paths to take. Cling to the cross. And resign yourself that you may not understand. You may not agree in your finite mind. You may want it now and it may hurt. But you're going to cling to the cross evermore. Or you can run from God. And find yourself in a true desert of aloneness. Friend, I want to petition unto you today. I want to, I want to beseech unto you today. Don't be tempted with that idea that you'd rather be in a desert alone then feel like you're in a desert with God. It's easy to say, at least if I'm in a desert by myself, at least I know I'm by myself. But when I'm in a desert with God, I'm expecting there not to be a desert, and there is, and I feel even more alone. It can feel that way. And when the fire hits you, you're going to either be driven to Christ or away from Christ. And it all depends on your willingness to trust that Christ knows what He's doing. And that we don't. Remember Joseph? He's beaten by his brothers because of the brothers' jealousy. And they're going to kill him. They're literally going to kill him. And by the way, there may have been times where Joseph may have felt, it would have been better I died. They beat him. And Judah says, well, let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. That'd be better. And they sell him into slavery and lands on his feet as a slave in Egypt. 
working for a man named Potiphar. But then Potiphar's wife lies about him. He ends up in prison 13 years from the time he's 17 to the time he's 30. He's in prison for doing the right thing, for being faithful unto God. And it may very well have seen God forgot him. God left him alone. God abandoned him. But it was only in hindsight that we see the hand of God move him there for future preservation of Israel. Now we read the whole story and we go, oh, okay. What about every day for 13 years where Joseph says, Moses, from a human perspective, he's taken from his mom. Why? Because there's there's a mandate, there's an edict that we kill all, all the Jewish children. And he's taken from his mom. Why would God allow that? But what, what do we see? He's placed in a river and plucked up by the princess, if you will, and raised in the palace. But then in an act of whatever you want to call it, Moses murders somebody. And now the Egyptian army that he was once kind of over in the sense of family are all chasing and pursuing him. Why would God allow that? Why would God allow Moses to not have his mother ripped away from his mother, raised in Egypt, and now Egypt wants to kill him because he murdered, he, he, he made a mistake. And he ends up on the backside of the desert for 40 years. Probably God will allow that. Only in hindsight do we see what God was doing. But what about Moses all through the days he was going forward? For 40 years. He's sitting there just leading people in deserts. Thinking I've blown the chance to serve God. Messed up. day when he's 80, the burning bush. And Moses says, man, that ship has sailed. I can't do that. I'm a murderer. I messed up. But in hindsight, we see, wow, the glory of God. Remember Job? All his friends, his wife. Everyone thought God left him. His wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? Ten, ten children died along the way. That didn't happen to Job. He lost all his possessions. He lost all all his wealth that he had. And then he lost all his health. And then he lost like the friendship with his wife, the loyalty of his wife in that regard. And then his closest friends we have come in with their weird accusations of maybe he's a this, maybe he's that, maybe he's this. And Job is like, so what? But in hindsight, we can see the hand of God. There is no promise that you and I will know the why or see the hand of God before we get to heaven. I'm not here to tell you if you endure long enough, you'll see it. You know, sometimes we don't see it until we get to heaven. But remind yourself of this truth. He is there. He is doing. He is there. Now, how about Lazarus' story? What about hindsight here? We look at 35, verse 35. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused the, that even this man should, have, should not have died? Jesus therefore groaning, again groaning in himself, coming to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. He's been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? And they took away the stone from the 
place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. And because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto him, Loose him and let him go. And many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. If I can lighten the mood just a little bit for just a second. Literally a mummy came out of the tomb. He was wrapped in grave clothes. He had a napkin around his face. I mean, he had walked in a couple days. He'd been sick before that. Everyone's standing there crying a mess. And Jesus says, come forward. I don't know if it smelled or not. I don't know, but they thought it was going to. And he just walks out, and Jesus says, okay, take those clothes off. Because the mummy literally don't smell. And did you notice at the end that because of this, many finally believed on Jesus? We don't get to measure that all the time. We don't get to see the hindsight all the time. We don't get to see God working. And a lot of times the situations that come in our life that are disappointing because hope deferred makes the heart sick. And we were counting on God to do something to make our lives easier or better because we serve him and it doesn't come that way. We don't always get to see how God orchestrates behind the scene to draw people unto himself. And if some people were saved, isn't that worth it? And if God says this brings him glory, isn't that worth it? Now, I understand. We're almost done. And I understand. For many of us, we feel it's not. It's not worth it. In that pain, it blinds us so badly. But I'm telling you, no matter what pain comes your way, the, what, I'm telling you, no matter what pain comes your way, the only choice you have is to cling to him. It's the only choice. Now look at Martha's heart, even in the trial. Go back to verse 20. We're just about done. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, and but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. But I know that thou, but I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. And Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus saith unto her, said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whatsoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Even in her blinding pain when she doesn't know what the end is going to be, when she doesn't know what is going to come on after, she still cries out and says, but I do believe you are the Christ. And sometimes it's like this. I really wish you would have done it differently, God. I really wish it wouldn't have been like this. But you're God. your God. I really wish you had a different plan for my life. But you're God. Friends, I understand that this is not easy. It's not easy for me to preach. It's not easy for me to live this way. But whether it's sometimes Satan attacking we don't know why. Has God allowed it? Sometimes it's just the natural happenstance of life. Someone gets sick and dies. Why did he allow that? 
Sometimes it's our own doing. We've done things that messed everything up. And you still might say, God, but can't you fix it? And we know this for sure. Life is full of fractured heartbreaks. And somehow in us we're hoping that God will solve it all. And in eternity he will. Let me give you another perspective, too. Lazarus is going to eventually die anyway. Even when God comes and rescues, this delays the inevitable. Eventually, Lazarus is going to die anyway. We don't pray for someone perpetually, and they live to be 500 years old in this life. If they need to live as Christ, they'll die as soon. This life is but a vapor, a drop in a bucket. When we're in heaven, all the pain will be wiped away. All the heartache, all the sorrow. Hang in there. Cling to Christ. And if you're not going through any heartbreak right now, or have maybe have never have, thank God. But one day you might. No truer words may have been said than what's listed here in this chapter. So the help you'll need. Keep on keeping. We love you guys. God loves us. Even when sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. When Jesus doesn't answer, I want you to think back in your life or maybe currently where you may have been calling on Jesus or you are calling on Jesus and it just seems like he doesn't care. Hang in there, my friend. You keep on calling. You keep on trusting. Maybe you feel let down by Jesus. He still loves you. He's still there. (laughs) Maybe you're living the joyful life and you're just like, I don't know what he's talking about. Can you praise God for the rest of us? Can you can your praise carry us through? Can your joy bring us strength when we have no strength of our own? Let me ask you a few questions today. I want you to just be honest with us here today. I'm not going to ask superimposing questions. I just want to be able to pray for you. First off, if you die today, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? If you're here and you say, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven when I die, would you please pray for me? I just want to pray for you today. I'm not going to call you out and make you do something you don't want to do. But if you're here and you say, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven when I die, please pray for me. Would you quietly raise your hand? I see your hand. God bless you. Thank you. Anybody else? I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. Please pray for me. May I ask this question? Is anyone going through a a time right now? A time of heartache, a time of heartbreak, a time of hope deferred, a time of questioning, a time of, of just hurt. Can I pray for you about that? A trial. If that's you, can I pray for you? Would you raise your hand? I see your hand. I see your hand and your hand. You can pray for me. Because I certainly am too. Anybody else? I'm going through something right now. Can I pray for you about it? 